thank you so much. Nice to meet you. Congrats on the uh, seminar today. Um, congrats to all of the organizations one, one, once more time. Um, just to start with a quick presentation, my name is Katerina Ronga. I'm from Deloitte, Greece. I'm responsible for the sustainability, um, <laughs> the sustainability pillar. And actually, before the very, very interesting discussion that we'll have with uh, the rest of our colleagues and speakers here, let's have a quick presentation on where to focus and before starting the discussion. So, what are the driving forces to change with regards to sustainability and how uh, actually this affects us and generally the shipping industry as well? Uh, just to note, that a lot of stakeholders are around the game who are setting the baseline with regards to what is happening. Uh, so you will have a lot of actual requests from regulators that they define the way that the industry is coming and what they actually should comply, should comply with. Uh, you will have a lot of uh, governmental and actual uh, differentiated policies per uh, part of the um, uh, of of the European part of the or, the or around the globe that you are actually operating. So this will affect how they see you and what they will actually uh, request. Uh, and of course, there are a lot of uh, setters with regards to the framework that are defined with regards to sustainability. Uh, and finally, a lot of competitors who are actually trying to. Uh, go further the game and actually uh, become more mature with regards to this sector and, and with regards to the sustainability uh, journey. The key point for the discussion later on with Ezekiel uh, as well is to keep from here that the, there is no one-to-one -one relationship, is one-to-many, and there is no one baseline set, but, but a lot of stakeholders requesting different parts in order to ensure that actually compliance for them is achieved. And what, we, what compliance means, we will see it later on. <coughs> Second part, uh, a lot of buzzwords with regards to sustainability in ESG. Uh, it came with ESG, environment, social, and governance, though the buzzword sti still remains and becomes even more uh, fake and even more vague even on when we hear about a lot of sustainability standards, frameworks, regulations. Uh, a key point to start with and to understand and take it also for the discussion later on is that we have a major target which is the sustainability objectives in order to ensure that climate change is managed, though this downscales and it actually decomposes in a lot of sustainability frameworks that are required to implement and are required from the European Union and of course uh, on different geographies, each actual geography defines the way that they would like to see these frameworks um, in, in application. And the second and very, very important part is that these frameworks are coming to be linked with the financial part and financial statements that actually will be the future for a lot of companies in order to ensure that the non-financial information which has to do with the sustainability part is linked actually with the financial statement information which are actually included in your 10, uh, 10F or 20F or generating the financial statements of the company. 
and we are going to talk about CSRD later on as well. So you will see how these are linked, coming from an objective to a framework and then to a more detailed list, uh, uh, interrelated financial, let's say, um, uh, framework to link with the financial statements. So despite of the fact that there are a lot of buzz here with regards to the IFRS, ESRS, or TCFD, just keep, not the abbreviation, but what is behind this is an effort of all the organizations to combine and prepare for a holistic approach to ensure that all these frameworks come with, uh, uh, come with a specific umbrella in order to ensure that this will be more feasible for the shipping industry or generally for, this, for the industry, for all the industries, to implement. A lot of benefits. We will define the benefits later on, uh, of course, during the discussion as well. But uh, we have heard a lot of the costs. We have heard a lot of the CO2 emissions and uh, what is coming with regards to the new fuels and, of course, with the penalties that are coming. Though what we should keep in this journey is that these, let's say, risks come with a lot of opportunities. And uh, this, for example, on the environmental pillar, comes with new ideas, with innovative solutions that we can create. And of course, it's possible to be funded as well. And generally, the shipping sector should actually uh, strive, from, for, strive to identify areas that could be linked and could be actually financed by the RRF, the, re the restructuring fund, uh, there is an opportunity also to ensure collaboration between different parties. As sustainability, the main point of sustainability is not the competition, is a way, is a new culture, is a way to actually um, create new power, create new ways of, uh, of uh, challenges, as of course, in the synergies, in order to ensure even more and new innovative solutions. Even, for example, the fuels we have discussed in the beginning could be, let's say, a, a new effort for all the companies in the industry to just cooperate and create something new, like a new revenue stream, a new business model that will create something new for the next day. And the most important pillar is um, uh, also the, governmental, the, the, the governance part, which is actually refers to the way of, the, of how we apply all this how we are, are our processes, and of course, what are the controls behind the way that we operate with regards to these processes. A very, very critical part on this is that if someone complies with the ESG, it actually provides a, a chance and, uh, and, and the best way to actually comply with the SEC regulations, and of course, regulations that have to do with um, uh, hardcore uh, governance, let's say, uh, requirements like uh, anti-fraud, uh, risk management, uh, strategy, and general uh, with regards to processes that are in place and would like actually to ensure uh, internal control effectiveness. So, um, the basic part, to understand where we stand from with regards to maturity. In the sustainability pillar, there are specific areas to consider with regards to the maturity level. The first pillar is the ESG strategy. Does our, does our company has an ESG strategy in place? The second pillar is the governance part. Do we have the appropriate procedures in place in order to ensure that we can manage and ensure that the next day on the sustainability journey we are ready? 
The third part, the maturity assessment. Uh, the key part here is that the sustainability actually landscape changes from what the impact is to the environment uh, and how the company affects the environment to a, to a new quantified approach on how and in financial benefits, let's say, and financial impact, how it affects the environment and how the society actually affects and has impact on the general financial statements with regards to the quantification of this risk as well. Uh, fourth part is if there is a clear strategic objective with regards to the goals and KPIs, and there we will come with certain, let's say, frameworks that require specific examples and KPIs to be settled and to be in compliance with. And the second part in the maturity uh, model to understand where we stand from for sustainability perspective is the ESG report. So, in general, just to provide some key points where the industry stands for and uh, where, what we can see, not only uh, in Greece and in Cyprus, but in general in the global, let's say, framework, is that the shipping industry has started making a lot of, let's say, uh, effort to prepare sustainability reports that follow financial criteria. Until now, the financial frameworks were actually the SASB framework, so the most of the companies in the shipping sector have a sustainability report in place, which is in compliance with the SASB uh, framework. Though, due to the fact that a lot of changes is coming, and a lot of changes are coming to the sustainability framework landscape, this means that a lot of, you know, a lot of maturity is needed with regards to implementing new frameworks like the CSRD, who are actually a more holistic approach framework, and they are also providing the opportunity to compare also not only within the industry, but with other industries as well. Second part that this is noted is that um, a lot of effort has been made by the ship owners to identify new ways of, uh, as we have seen in the, in the beginning, to identify alternative fuels and to actually uh, provide budget and use this budget in order to, pre to prepare for new innovative solutions. So this is very, very important for the industry that it shows the way uh, for a new and a better, uh, let's say, sustainability journey. And of course, it's very, very important due to the fact that it affects the whole ecosystem. Ports, uh, customers, transportation, let's say, um, uh, transportation uh, pillars. And of course, this means that this will create a more and a more, even more mature, actual environment with regards to sustainability. Uh, areas to consider in the maturity level of the sector are the fact that um, we actually see that not yet a sustainability clear model with regards to having sustainability implemented and integrated with the sustainability strategy is not yet, let's say, um, uh, has not yet been noted. Uh, we have identified that a lot of all the actions that are happening around uh, are actually part you know, of an effort to respond to and be more responsive, actually, to the new requirements that are coming. So um, some efforts will be needed in the next years to ensure that we actually have full uh, sustainability maturity in, in all the periods that we have mentioned previously. Governance, strategy, uh, KPIs, and of course, 
uh, the way to integrate with financial statements. Uh, some um, key points of, of the sector as well are that um, a lot of uh, efforts have been made with regards to the sustainability report to be linked with uh, rating agencies as well in order to ensure that investors actually and funds um, have a more stable environment and have also a toolkit and a baseline uh, that verifies all these sustainability efforts that have been made until now. This is very, very important due to the fact that uh, all this information is publicly available and this also provides a way of comparison as well. And of course, a new source of funding for the next day. And to uh, finalize and start the question to the discussion as well, just to note that there are a lot of uh, key areas to consider and not only the EU ETS that we have seen in the beginning and uh, of course the IMO requirements. Uh, a lot of are coming. Uh, we have the national climate law, which is a European law, which means that we have to actually uh, calculate the scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions of, uh, of our companies. Uh, one more important um, legal, let's say, uh, framework is the CSRD, which is coming. The EU taxonomy, which is actually indicates what of our activities and which of our activities are considered green and how these activities can be actually um, be incentivized and ensure that we can also have funding with regards to this. And of course, in the future, we will see a lot of changes coming with regards to this framework to ensure that, um, the, that the companies and of course the, ship own, the shipping owners um, ensure compliance with this. Challenges for the sector are here, how and with which methodology I ensure that I'm, I should be compliant with the CSRD regulation. This is the one. And the second part is if I am actually a company which is actually has an operation in the European Union or it doesn't have an operation in the European Union, how this affects me and what actions and roadmap I need actually to implement in order to ensure that my journey is sustainable for the next day. So I will pass the floor to Zeke. And uh, thank you so much. Happy to respond to any questions that I may have in, later on. So please feel free. All right, thank you. All right, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back from a nice lunch. Um, I'll jump right into it. Uh, Katrina, thank you very much. Great presentation. Um, when I got asked to do this panel, I was excited just because uh, I get to ask questions to four segments of our industry. So let me introduce that team. Um, we've got Mr. Hughes, uh, Mr. Kalmet Hughes from Senior Vice President, Head of DMB Athens, um, Representative of Office. Uh, we have Mr. Thanathis Anotakis. Deputy CFO and Chief Compliance Officer of Safe Bulkers Inc. Uh, and we have Mr. Jeffrey, Jeff Walker, uh, CEO of Vitera Chartering BV. Uh, and of course, you all just were introduced to uh, Katerina from Deloitte. Um, with that, we'll jump right into the questions. My structure for this panel today is really to uh, ask a series of questions across the panel because, like I just said, we have the opportunity to have four different segments of our, in, uh, of our industry here at the table with us. So my first, my, my first one is really on necessity. Uh, and I think I'll start from, from the root, 
Um, Mr. Calmet, I'll start with you, if you don't mind. And this is uh, um, the question I'm going to ask is, what are the key necessities for ESG and ES reporting in, in, in the shipping industry, specifically in your area, which is finance? Thank you, uh, Ezekiel. Uh, I, I would say as a very large corporate, um, a bank, you know, we, we have been under, um, you know, demand from all sorts of stakeholders for many, many years. Uh, to report on the, on the ESG, and that comes from uh, you know our shareholders, um, governments which tend to own large uh, shares in in banks, <coughs> employees, uh, and a society at large. So, in a way, for banks, uh, it's it's been quite for quite a while that we report on on the ESG matters. Uh, when it comes to the shipping industry, um, and the financiers who finance the shipping industry. Uh, contrary to, to Europe, I think there's still a, a sort of tiering market as to how banks are focused on, on ESG uh, topics. And, and I think geographically, if you look towards the, uh, the East in Asia, uh, that may not be a theme on the top of the agenda. But certainly for all European banks, uh, my impression is that uh, this is at, at the core of their strategies, at least for... For DNB, if I speak for, for myself, uh, this is part of our DNA and it's at the same level as uh, the credit risk and the compliance risk. Uh, so for every credit, every decision that we take, uh, there is an element of assessing the uh, ESG, uh, ESG risk. So it's, it's fundamental. Um, we are a funding uh, member of the Poseidon principle. So since 2019, we have been reporting uh, our bank's ship uh, finance portfolio emission. Uh, as it was mentioned in the previous panel, uh, it, 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 it's not a you know, stick situation, it's more trying to assess how the overall industry is developing and how as a bank we can assist our clients to you know, find the right path to decarbonize uh, with the technology available to them. Uh, and at the pace that other stakeholders, and I think we'll discuss that a bit later, you know, when it comes to alternative technologies and alternative fuels, you know, whenever these uh, new means are available to our clients, how can that accelerate uh, the uh, decarbonization of shipping? Uh, so we take a very uh, pragmatic, uh, pragmatic view, uh, but from a banking uh, perspective, really, uh, ESG reporting is is extremely important. You know, we, we, we are due to report on the bank's uh, overall ESG risk. Uh, you know, the, the regulators in EU expect us to also analyze any climate-related environmental risk linked to our activities. Um, uh, you know, so it's 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 difficult to do without. To be honest, it's a necessity. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Um I jump over to Jeff now. If he, what he would think about what's the uh, necessities for ESG and ESG, ESG reporting? Um, yeah. yeah uh, first of all, I'm also here for Sea uh, Cargo Charter, so that that I want to add. Um, I actually mis misread the question because okay. I, I I thought it was talking about the requirements for for ESG and shipping. And if you talk about what is required to have a proper ESG in shipping. I think the, the, the buzzword here is transparency, obviously, and standard, standardization. And that's what, that's what Sea Cargo Charter stands for, but I want to kind of make a point, a short point on standardization. Um, because if we talk about standardization, we talk about the metric, 
and I'm not going to uh, start a discussion here about CII, but what I want to, uh, but what I want to really raise here or, or, or bring to the room is that it has to be a fair metric. And I think most of you, especially on the ship owner community, but also on the charter side, I can tell you it's all about having a fair metric. And I think what I want to say about ESG is really that if you make it too compact or just too limited on shipping only or on the ship owner only for that perspective or on the charter only, that's a misconception. That's wrong. That's not fair. So ESG, if you, if you apply ESG properly to the shipping industry, you need to have a fair, a fair metric. And, and that is not just a decarbonization. is not a ship owner's problem. It's not a charter's problem. It's our problem. Thank you, Jeff. Um, Mr. Antonakis, what would, what would you have to say on this subject? Look, uh, I uh, totally agree with uh, Jeff. You know, there is a misconception about uh, ESG in shipping. We always uh, tend to focus on, or over-focus on decarbonization and leave out uh, the other two very significant parts, which is the social part and uh, the governance part, without which we cannot have the environmental part. Uh, now, uh, you tend to have a very good standard enlisted at least companies for governance issues. Uh, you tend to have a, a very good uh, commensurate, uh, you know, tries around uh, transparency, but there is always a, a, a lack in uh, comparability, and uh, Jeff little touched upon that on standardization. So, uh, the first and foremost necessity is to have a level playground here. Yeah. And by saying that, we mean that uh, uh, IMO should uh, step in and uh, set the level straight and come up with a regulation that applies globally. Instead of uh, leaving the regulator the tools and the standardization and the comparability of data to the industry, either to third-party assurance providers or, uh, uh, you know, usually usually in our negotiation uh, we don't have the upper hand as uh, ship owners, usually our charters do. So it's uh, to their benefit to establish, uh, uh, you know, uh, to establish uh, certain data that might uh, affect their negotiation hand or our bankers and uh, I feel very squeezed here <laughs> uh, between those uh, between those uh, parties. But uh, I will uh, I will say this, and uh, don't take much of the time. We need IMO to step in, make a regulatory change, and uh, probably impose a global regulation around uh, standardization and comparability of data around uh, decarbonization of shipping. And that will help, uh, you know, both uh, financiers not to imposing their own rules like Poseidon rules, not our charters to impose their own rules like uh, uh, whatever works in any given time in the market. And for us also, it will make it easier to comply with, uh, with setting goals that are long-term in nature and not that, uh, you know, not having a, a short-term uh, financial feasibility always uh, overlying over our heads. Because now the market might be good and uh, we 
we, you know, things like uh, the, this panel might come up, but uh, I am sure when uh, uh, the going gets tough, we, the ESG won't be on the top of uh, the agenda. Uh, it will be uh, at the very bottom. So uh, as soon as we have, a, you know, as soon as we have a global standard, uh, as soon as we have a set, uh, uh, set of standards and uh, comparability and transparency, then we will be able to, to, to make it for the whole industry, you know, to take the next step altogether. Collaboration uh, is the key here, as you understand, and uh, not one party should have a, a set of standards that, uh, you know, uh, that are good for uh, its, uh, its own kind of uh, business, but it should be a, uh, a collaborative, collaborative uh, work. Thank you, Thanasis. Uh, Katerina, would you have anything to comment on, on this? Uh, yep, uh, just to note that, sorry, thank you so much. Uh, just to note that um, based on uh, what all of uh, here, all of the participants uh, referred to, the main important part is that the standardization from the IMO will come actually by implementing uh, global standards, like for example the CSRD part. Uh, due to the fact that along with the new regulations that the EU is trying actually to implement, the, Europe, the, the global, let's say America is trying also to follow them in, in order to ensure the standardization in the reporting. And uh, with regards to the specific industry standards, just to say that uh, there is an effort uh, that will be actually uh, on after two years, it is expected by the European Union, to prepare specific standards, industry standards, uh, in order to ensure that their applicability will be actually tailor-made based on the needs and the challenges that each industry faces. So we are expecting through the CSRD and through the new ESRS, let's say, regulation, mm -hmm. that a new way of reporting will be, let's say, ready after one or two years, uh, aligned with IMO, in order to ensure that all of the challenges of the shipping industry are actually uh, addressed, uh, and is expected to be seen in order to ensure that everyone on the shipping sector is actually following the same path with regards to uh, this uh, standardized standardization of the reporting part. Oh, thank you. No, that's good answers all. I think just to summarize that question, really, it was about, uh, you know, uh, having understanding the perspective that it's more than just one. It's about uh, having standardization, right? Uh, it's about the importance of it in, from the finance and how it runs deep. And, and then it's about how these regulations are going to come about. So um, th thank you all. My, my next question is, um, is focused about the tangible, tangible benefits, right? And what are, you know, as, as we just heard kind of what we need to get there, once, we, once the ESG is already in place, but as we get further along, what are some of the, the tangible, tangible benefits that we'll get in the industry? Uh, and I'll start with uh, Thanasis, if you don't mind going first on this one. Yeah. yeah. Um, for us uh, at uh, Safe Bikers, the the tangible benefits are very, you know, straightforward. Uh, we have our financiers, certain of our financiers on, on my right, so they can attest to that. 
meaning that you know uh, uh, financial uh, financial benefits are obvious. Those companies that have a strong ESG uh, imperative embedded in their financial strategy and the overall strategy of the company have easier access to capital. So they can attract more easily investors. We can uh, access the capital markets uh, much more easily when we, when we focus on an ESG strategy that is aligned with our, uh, with our overall strategy. And that is jargon, but let me put it in an actual uh, example. Uh, in the last uh, couple of years, we have uh, ordered and we have been taking delivery of, uh, of uh, phase three vessels. Now, we have uh, in total, in aggregate, ordered 16 of those vessels, and uh, we have taken delivery already uh, for nine of those. So, in order to, in order to have this, uh, you know, placed, and ordered, we needed money, so we needed unfairness shares behind us to back up and take those uh, take those uh, risks along with us. And that cannot be done unless you have a clear understanding of your long-term ESG uh, objectives and goals. So, uh, of course, uh, you need to charter those vessels, and you need to charter them at uh, you know at a commensurate uh, revenue to the expense and the capex that we have made. So, uh, Jeff. <laughs> so, uh, this, uh, you know, always come uh, in tandem with uh, the revenue that we expect to take. So, uh, the actual benefits of having uh, your EAG, you know, strategy embedded in your competitive strategy on the overall strategy of the company is actually to have a plan, a long-term strategy and not just ordering whatever is out there or uh, you know taking large uh, capital expenditures without the banking of your financiers and uh, without the banking of your uh, the banking of your investors uh, and uh, what uh, used to be you know nice to have a couple of uh, years ago or three or five years ago now it's become a necessity yeah. so you do need a financial license to operate that comes along with the EHG planning. You do need a social uh, license to operate and a governance license to operate. And all these come along and combined in your EHG strategy. If this is clearly articulated uh, uh, in your company's DNA, as we in Safe Parkers have done, then uh, you can have tangible, uh, tangible benefits. Uh, yeah. So, if the, if it is done on a, on an ad hoc uh, basis, then we don't have the benefits that you expect to have. Okay. Uh, so, perfect. Thank you, Thanasis. Um, since you mentioned his name, I'll go to Jeff next. Uh, <laughs> uh, besides, besides the answer to this question, I've got a lot to say to Thanasis now. But anyway. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I can do that in public or I can do that later, but let me, uh, uh, first of all, uh, benefit of ESG. I, I think if I speak for ourselves, for our company, uh, what it did to us, uh, and maybe for, for some of you in the public too, is that it made us self-reflect. Um, because what we thought was um, the, the best way to do business, we are going to re re revise 
re review our contracts, for instance, review the operational efficiency. By the way, operational efficiency, let's not talk about, I don't want to talk about uh, future fuels, but look at how we can improve our business as it, as it is today and already gain, gain a lot of emission saving. I come from the emission saving point of view. So that is, that is what I think ESG uh, is, do, is doing to us, is doing, is doing to the world, is doing to our industry. Look at how the relationship between ship owners and charters is changing. Uh, before and I'm, I'm in this business uh, for more than 30 years and you know what I'm seeing today in the last couple of years the relationship between owners and and charters is really changing and and uh, Patrick and I and our team we are we're really investing in this so uh, that is uh, that is that is what ESG I think is a tangible uh, uh, change for us but if you allow me um, I want to compliment Thanasis on his vision uh, maybe he didn't know that but he has he has a lot of vision in his previous answer, he was talking about standardization. You were talking about transparency. And, um, and I think you, you agree with me about, about the metric. And I'm, I'm very excited that I'm able to kind of repeat here uh, a press release uh, Chicago Charter Global Maritime Forum did uh, in December last year, is that, uh, that we're, we're going to make uh, the Chicago Charter open for ship owners as of April this year. So Tanosis. If you like, I would love you to uh, to join the, to join the Chicago Charter because then at least we have. I think the only logical way is that we make a joint metric and not a not a charters uh, a charter view on things, but a joint view on things. So uh, you're most welcome, Tanasis, and well, others, you. and all the other owners, by the way. Well, well, thank you, Jeff. That was an interesting proposal and good dialogue for sure. Uh, Katerina, would you have anything further to say on the uh, the benefits of ESG? Yep. Um, actually, one of the main purposes with regards to the ESG <coughs> is to create the baseline of a new way of, let's say, of creating a new purpose. It's a cultural change. It's a new way of creating synergies. It's a new way of, you know, going together against the specific objective, but, you know, having all, all of us on board. Mm -hmm. So all the stakeholders as we have already the discussions with Jeff and Thanasis uh, and Hugs, all the stakeholders need to cooperate. And of course, even in the same industry, in the same, let's say, company, there are a lot of things that actually need to align in order to ensure that this will be the next day, which is a common target, even if it's, you know, to decrease, let's say, the CO2 emissions, even to ensure that we will have a new, let's say, technology which automates the next day and creates fully rerouting in a, using only one app, for example, uh, which will be also a new, let's say, sustainable product for the next day and target operating model for the company, a new opportunity. Uh, and of course, this, also, this is also an opportunity to ensure that we redesign the processes and the way that we actually offer this to ensure that cost is limited and uh, go further to a new transformation and to a new digital transformation and re-engineering of the way that uh, we operate today. Thank you, Katerina. And over to you, Hughes. I'll be very brief. I think Thanasis said it very well. <clears throat> From the, the banking perspective, um, what we've been advocating our clients to do for many years now is to make sure they can access 
different sources of, of capital. And I think when it comes to accessing the European bank market, which historically has been the main provider of finance for the shipping industry, you need to have an ESG strategy in place. Um, so, you know, you get access to volumes and certainly also have a pricing incentive. You know, we talk about sustainability-linked loans, which give five, ten basis points um, discount, which it is not really a game-changer. But I think the, the way to look at it is if you don't have an ESG policy, an ESG targets, you don't have access potentially to these pockets of capital, which today are probably the most competitive out there. So I'm, I'm just saying you could still access capital, but not at the same price and maybe not at the same volumes. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And, and just quickly again to summarize, what I, what I heard from that was uh, from Thanasis planning, you know, really the, the ESG adds a lot of planning and helps you plan, gets, and gets more access to capital. From Jeff, it's self-reflection or company reflection and really seeing what you're doing and how you're doing business. And, and Katarina, you're more about the, the regulation and, and how um, it's gonna, the standards are going to come up. Um, uh, so thank you for that. So time is running. I'm going to jump over um, the challenges question that I was looking at and focus on the regulation because we've kind of already touched on that one. Um, and as, you, as Katarina has mentioned in her, her presentation, coming actually into force this year, you have uh, EU CSRD for the larger companies. Uh, and then they have to start their processes now, and the reporting is due next year. And then again, in for a bit smaller companies, uh, you have to start again from 1 January uh, 2025 with reporting in 26. And my question is, is, is EUS uh, CSRD, is it fit for purpose? It is, is it the right regu regulation that our industry needs? Um, and if, it, if it's not, or where should this regulation be developed? And Thanasis, you already kind of touched on that. Maybe I'll hand it over to you first for that. Yeah. Thank you, Zekir. Yeah. Uh, it is fit for purpose, yes. Fit for 35 is fit for purpose as long as uh, it is used in the right way, meaning that uh, the implementation of the regulation has to be you know, very clear. So uh, the applicability, first of all, needs to be, needs to be very heavily, you know, uh, look into it. And each case for each company is very, very different. And uh, as long as you, uh, and to the extent that you will uh, use it as a tool, not as a compliance exercise, but as, as, a, as an opportunity, business opportunity to extend your strategy, then it will make uh, sense. If you, if you use it as a bureaucratic only exercise, a compliance exercise, then uh, it won't work. Uh, you need to have, uh, uh, you need to have, uh, you know, as Jeff said, uh, he referenced the Sea Cargo Charter, you, that relates to cargo sustainability. Uh, a little bit earlier, uh, Hook uh, mentioned the Poseidon principles that, uh, you know, touch upon a lot of things. And uh, each regulation has its own, uh, you know, its own uh, underlying metrics and uh, KPIs. But uh, in order to become uh, effective, you have to build uh, confidence. And in order for that to be achieved, again, I will come to what I've said uh, earlier. 
you need a global overlying uh, regulation. And uh, currently we have, uh, as, uh, as Katerina literally put up a slide, we have 35 different regulations for multiple jurisdictions or overlying. And, uh, you know, so uh, it has to be a clear level here or else you will find ourselves in a position chasing uh, behind the regulation and not actually having a clear strategy. Uh, and of course, it isn't only you know, listed companies with uh, huge sizes. Uh, there are uh, smaller owners out there where the burden of compliance uh, will be extravagant and uh, it will be, uh, you know, it will be very, very difficult for them to, to continue and operate in a jurisdiction or uh, they will try to take advantage of an arbitrage of regulations in other jurisdictions. So uh, uh, it, it will be fit for purpose as long as, uh, you know, you have a clear understanding of where you're going to go. Yep as a business and uh, use, it, uh, use it to your benefit rather than uh, a compliance exercise. Okay. Thank you, Thanasis. In the sake of time, I'm just going to open it to the panel. Uh, anybody else? Katerina, would you have any, co any comment on the regulation? Maybe? Uh, not just, not that um, uh, the regulation is actually, um, it actually requires four basic things. To define the strategy with regards to the sustainability journey that, it's, that each company is actually making to define how the governance part, so the processes that it actually uh, has in place in order to ensure that this environment is safe, to define the KPIs, which means to set objectives and go for it, clear objectives, KPIs, and in order to ensure that something has a meaning to ensure improvement. That is why it requires specific KPIs to achieve. And fourth, to actually ensure and identify risk and opportunities and quantify these opportunities which, may, which will actually bring new, let's say, um, opportunities for the company and of course new ways of revenue. Just to, 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 to define what is this regulation about. So just to come in the beginning that Jeff, I think, it's, uh, has mentioned it in, in, in this, in, when we started, this is a holistic approach. So I don't know if the regulation will be, you know, uh, something that will solve the problem. <laughs> to say the truth, that regulation does not always solve the problem. It's, it's actually a checklist in the beginning. But to say the truth, the most important part to keep from is that we need a holistic approach to all these models that we have defined here in order to ensure that the next day will be viable and will give value actually to the, to the ship owners on the actions that they perform. Great. Thank you, Katerina. And as you can see, we're out of time now. I did have one last question, and that was change. And that was, I was going to ask the panel <clears throat> if they thought that this ESG reporting was going to actually drive change in the industry. And I think from what we've heard here today, and in the sake of time, that I think we can all agree that it is going to drive change. And it already is starting to change the approach that we take as companies. So with that, I'd just like to thank the panel and thank Capital Link for the opportunity today. And uh, I hand it over to George. Thank you, Mr. Katerina and the panel, um, without wanting to be intrusive, one minor comment, if I men mentioned for many or one of you, 
Um, it's a very intriguing topic. In fact, quite frankly, the more I hear about it, the more ignorant I find myself because it's a process which we're not really familiar with. One thing I'd like to ask is that what's your view on the greenwashing? I haven't heard anybody mention that. The greenwashing is a very uh, difficult situation which we're facing. We've had this, um, you know, the Paris Agreement 2015 where all this scenario started about trying to improve our environment. But uh, I'd like a few comments either from you or one of your, your, your panelists about greenwashing. Thank you. I, I could answer on behalf of the banks. I think this is absolutely um, on the top of the agenda. I think, for example, uh, I remember when um, the first sort of green loans in shipping uh, were, uh, you know, raised, put in place, uh, they were qualified as green. And, and I think looking back now, they, they were not green, right? They were still brown financings. And I think the, the banks have seen that uh, they have to be extremely cautious. Uh, I mean, banks have been fine, actually, not necessarily to their activities linked to shipping, but all other activities when they have been deemed to greenwash uh, representation of their investment. So this is extremely high on the agenda. And I think that's why you might see banks getting more and more demanding on their uh, ESG-related uh, terms for facility agreements by fear of being uh, taxed to be greenwashed uh, down the line, particularly for European banks. I think you know, uh, banks elsewhere in the world might be different. So I, I agree with you, it's really, it's really high on the agenda. Yeah. Thank you for responding that way because, I mean, personally, I mean, I've always been concerned about it because let's face it, the whole shipping industry is going through a whole can of worms with massive difficulties in compliance and they're fighting tooth and nail. So when you have this situation of this uh, element of hypocrisy which exists, and it's fairly predominant in the market. I think it's something which is so uh, heartbreaking because, you know, there's a certain amount of code of ethics which uh, prevails in the shipping business, and it's not really correct, as far as I'm concerned, to have a situation where having so many people spend infinite amount of money, effort, and sacrifice and to find this process in being so prevalent. I'm sorry for saying that. Thank you. If I could, may add here, uh, on behalf <laughs> on behalf of the owners. Uh, that's why we mentioned at the start that we've got to have an ESG strategy rather than ticking the boxes. Because, uh, you know, there is a certain liability that comes up associated with what you will be disclosing in the future and, you know, disclosing in your 20F, in your annual reports and in your sustainability reports. So there are uh, a whole... Uh, a whole uh, industry of greenwashing lawsuits out there waiting and I see my friend Stephen back there as an insurer already uh, laughing but you know there is a there is a certain point here to be made sure Jeff do you have something you look like you have something to say yeah I just wanted to um, yeah. and I hope I, I, I express myself right here because um, we should also not be paranoia about greenwashing uh, what I try to say here is that, uh, of course, greenwashing is bad, I mean, period, if we talk about the pure greenwashing. But I, and, uh, I encounter sometimes people who, who uh, call, uh, put a label of greenwashing on companies making small efforts, making small gains. And in the previous panel, I heard the word baby steps. And that's what this industry has to do. We should be realistic about our goals. They're not always realistic, we all know that. It's a target, it's a goal. But what I want to oppose here a little bit is that let's, let's not be paranoia. If, don't call small efforts like 
you know, doing, doing 100 tons of biofuel on a vessel is maybe a small step, but it is a step. And that should not be, and if you want to market that you're doing that, that's not greenwashing. So that's, that's what I want to, want to add to the discussion. Well, thank you, everybody, very much. Um, we're definitely out of time now. Uh, great discussion is going to be get, just to get the afternoon started. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.